Hello, this is Pastor Jimmy Harper. Thanks for listening to this Lee University broadcast. We're excited that you are joining us today for one of our many campus events. We hope that you are encouraged as you listen. The gospel lesson comes to us from Matthew 28, 16 and following. Listen now for a word from our Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you to the very end of the age. This concludes the reading from the Gospel of Matthew. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. I have a question this morning. A question that I have always wanted to ask. And I am confident that you know the answer to this question. So if you know the answer, you just shout it back at me, okay? Are you ready? Okay, here it goes. Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? SpongeBob Yes! And SpongeBob has a friend named Barnacle Bob. And Barnacle Bob is a superhero. He fights evil villains under the sea. But above the sea, barnacles are not superheroes. But they are very cool little creatures. They secrete this like glue-like, cement-like stuff that dries underwater. We have yet to replicate this. If you are a fisherman, on like on the West Coast, Seattle area, or in Portland area, or off the coast of Oregon, you know that barnacles are not superheroes. What they do is they stick to the bottom of your boat. And if you let them stick for a long time, they will collect and bring all their friends. And pretty soon, your boat will become disformed and it will not be able to sail correctly. So the fishermen, every once in a while, will have to pull their boats out. And they have to take these high pressure hoses and wash off the barnacles. And it takes a lot of work. It's very difficult to do. And they have to be firm, but at the same time, they have to be cautious not to hurt the bottom of their boat. We are way past midpoint of the semester now. And metaphorically speaking, some of us have collected some barnacles since the beginning of the semester. Maybe someone has said to you something that was really lame, boom, barnacle. Or maybe you've done something that was really lame and now you have to live with the consequences. Boom, barnacle. Relationships have a tendency to collect barnacles. Marriages collect barnacles over the time. That's why here at Lee University we have a counseling program for family and marriages. So to negotiate ways to get those barnacles off in a healthy way. The church has collected barnacles over time. Barnacles of bloodshed, barnacles of racism, barnacles of power plays. 14th century inquisition, boom, barnacle. Salem witch trials, boom, barnacle. The crusades, barnacle, barnacle, barnacle. Lots and lots of barnacles. What we see in Acts chapter two, essentially, is a church 
without barnacles. It says in Acts 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship, and to prayer. Now we know that this didn't last very long. All we have, we can look at the example of 1 Corinthians. They had so many barnacles, their boat was barely floating. But we get a glimpse in Acts chapter 2 of what a church looks like, it can look like, that doesn't have barnacles. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. To devote oneself, that concept of devotion, primary commitment, your primary concern, if I was to ask you a serious question, what are you devoted to? What is your primary concern? What is it in your life that if something happened to that primary concern, you would just stop what you were doing and immediately deal with that issue? What are you devoted to? Then it says in the text that God added daily to their numbers. In fact, in one place in the text, it says 3,000 people converted on one day. This is what we call in ministry a good problem. If I was at the church that I served and we had 3,000 converts in one day, I would be like, okay, like, who's going to make the coffee for all these people, right? All of these people were coming into the church, and the church had to get organized really, really fast. And layer upon layer of organization soon became layer upon layer of expectations. Expectation of what church is supposed to be like, what church is supposed to look like, what church is. In fact, a building is now a barnacle, right? That's a type of expectation. And in a service like this, even a robe is a type of expectation. So how can we tell if an expectation is a barnacle or a barnacle is an expectation? I think we can tell by does the expectation weigh us down or does it help us sail? Expectations cling to us. Sometimes they're good. Sometimes they weigh us down. Sometimes they need to be removed. There's a young man in the scriptures named Timothy. And by tradition, we often think of Timothy as the first Christian to ever be raised as a Christian. He received this faith being passed down from his grandmother. First, grandma passed it down to her daughter. And then her daughter passed it down to Timothy. When my husband and I started to have children, started our family, of course we wanted to give our children everything that we could, physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. We intentionally wanted to pass down our faith. But as the days turned into months and the months turned into years, I began to ask myself, am I passing down the faith or am I passing down barnacles and expectations? There's this strange case of people called baby boomers. Maybe some of you know them. They turned 70 this year. If you remember your history, 70 years ago, these soldiers were coming back from the war and an unprecedented amount of weddings took place. People got married in churches, but they also got married outside. They got married in their parlors. They got married in their living rooms. All these weddings were happening. 
And nine months later, we had a boom of babies. A baby boom. A baby boom of babies. And in 1963, these babies turned 18. Now, there's a lot of things going on in the 60s. Lots of outside influences. Drugs, free sex, rock and roll, Vietnam, women's lib. But it was right around the 60s that churches began to notice that their young people were leaving the church in droves. Their children were, were leaving the church. And the church began to ask themselves, well, how do we pass on the faith? How do we do this? And who should pass on the faith? Before the 1960s, there really was no such thing as a youth pastor. But what the church decided to do in the 1960s was to professionalize passing down the faith to the next generation. Really, as the church moved into the 70s, we began to take on a corporate business model, and we began to compartmentalize our ministries, women ministries, children's ministries, older adult ministries, youth ministries. Now, in no way, don't go squatting on your spurs, am I saying that youth pastors are barnacles? I'm not saying, they do not get paid enough, for heaven's sakes, to be called a barnacle. But what I am saying is the expectation that a professional that we pay is to pass down the faith, that expectation is a barnacle. Pastors can help pass down the faith, but they cannot take away your calling as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Whether I'm wearing a robe or you're wearing a sweatshirt, we all have the same calling in this room. All of us have the same calling, and that is to pass on the faith. There is a think tank outside of Pasadena, California called Sticky Faith. You can go online and Google it, Sticky Faith. And they do all sorts of statistics. And what they're saying is currently, right now in our churches, in America, this is American churches, very different in Africa and Asia, but in American churches, one out of two will come, one out of two youth, one out of two kids will come to an adult faith. 50% of our young adults are dropping out. That's the statistic right now. And Sticky Faith also states that in order for that other 50% to grow to an adult faith, they need at least five adults to pass down that, adult, that, that faith to them or to exhibit that faith to them somehow. So if you have a youth group that has 10 people, 10 young people in it, you need at least 50 adults who are actively involved in those young people's lives. So if you have a youth group like North Cleveland Church of God that has hundreds of young people in it, the calling cannot be on some professional. It is a calling upon those who follow Christ, a calling of discipleship to pass on the faith. So here's the question. Are you equipped to pass on this faith? Or maybe a better question is this. What are you devoted to?
1984, my family went to Disney World. And my mom and dad split up. My, my mom took the big kids to go on all the fun rides. And my dad took me, the little kid, to go and have lunch on Main Street. And if you've ever been to Main Street, they have these cute little cafes and these sweet little tables. And my dad said, you know, sit down at this table outside on the sidewalk, wait for me. I'm going to go inside of the cafe. I'm going to go and get some hamburgers and french fries. He took his tray and he went and stood in line. And as I was sitting there at this table, just minding my own business, beautiful, beautiful day, I, no joke, this parade just like materialized in front of my face. I don't know where it came from. It's like, seriously, if you've ever seen these parades just like happen, they like come out of the ground. They like come out of the walls. All of a sudden, this float was like right there in front of me. There was Mickey, there was Minnie, there was the princesses, and there was these marching bands, and there was singing, and I don't know what happened. I just got kind of swept up into it, and I started, my legs started moving, and I started marching along with this band. I was like, uh-huh, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden, People are waving at me like I'm in the parade and I'm like waving back at people and I'm like oh my goodness this is like my most magical moment and I begin singing M-O-U-S-C uh -huh, this is the way it goes but meanwhile back in reality my dad comes out with lunch and I am gone I'm like way down the road and he has no idea where I am so my dad goes to the professional to the security officer, and he says to the security officer, seven years old, blonde, pink shoes, can't find her. And this guy could have learned a lesson or two from Paul Blart, the mall cop, but instead he gets on his walkie-talkie, he's like, hey, Frank, we got another one. I mean, apparently this must happen, like, all the time. So my dad, realizing he was getting nowhere, he begins this panic begins to rise in him, and he begins to spread the word to as many people as he can see. All the people around him, I mean, he's shouting, he's yelling over the noise. Blonde, pink shoes, seven years old. Blonde, pink shoes, seven years old. Missing child, blonde, pink shoes, seven years old. And he begins to go to every single person he can see, to talk to. And all of a sudden, this crowd began to have a new commitment, a new devotion to finding a missing child. And as I am all the way down the road, singing Mickey Mouse with these princesses, all of a sudden, I hear my name, Heidi! And I look over, and there is this like young 16-year-old boy. And he's, he's out of breath, obviously, and he's been running. And he says to me, your dad is looking for you. Friends, there are so many people in this world who are totally lost. And they have no idea that they're lost. And they have no idea that someone is looking for them. Our calling is not to pass on denominational barnacles or barnacles of expectations. Our calling is to tell the world that their father is looking for them. So much, in fact, that he sent his son to find them.